the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Final hour of the Bruce Hooley Show every week starts with Jack Windsor of the Ohio Press Network. Follow Jack on Twitter at Jack Windsor, W-I-N-D-S-O-R. And the Ohio Press Network is just that, theohiopressnetwork.com. And Jack, we are heading into the home stretch for the midterms. Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance have had their two debates. Now they're going to have a Fox News town hall on Tuesday. It'll be moderated by Brett Baer, Martha McCallum. Details on this are a little uh, hard to find. They're going to be in Columbus. They're going to be having a live audience. But will they both be before a live audience? We don't really know where. Um, what do you make of it? Good idea for both candidates or uh, a risk for either one more than the other? At this point, um, you know, I, I think getting uh, on a debate stage favors J.D. Vance. If it is uh, an instance where both candidates are able to field questions and respond without the other rebutting, that that might favor Tim Ryan. Um, But I think both candidates, or at least uh, it appears that both candidates were trying to get something done in Columbus since it is the state capitol. And if you remember, they really went back and forth, and it was a public back and forth yeah. to try to decide when they were going to debate and where. So it doesn't surprise me that they're in Columbus. It surprises me that it was a delayed announcement and that it's not a debate. It surprises me J.D. Vance would give Tim Ryan access to Fox News viewers because Tim Ryan is really good at making himself sound a lot different than he has voted in Congress over 20 years. And I don't understand the strategy on the Vance side to allow Ryan access to voters who are likely going to be Vance voters. Yeah, and, you know, that was one of the things that we fact-checked, um, statements made um, by J.D. Vance regarding Tim Ryan. One of those was that he votes with Nancy Pelosi 100% of the time and says that he loves Nancy Pelosi. Well, that's true. Uh, according to PolitiFact and 538, um, Nancy Pelosi and Tim Ryan are from the same party and have agreed on 100% of votes in the 117th Congress, and in the 2016 Post piece, Ryan is quoted as saying, I don't like Nancy Pelosi. I love Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. So um, he is saying one thing, and in fact, let me try to squeeze this in. I talked with someone um, in the Cincinnati area uh, in the news business and said, wow, you know, I interviewed Tim Ryan, and it was as if I was talking to a Republican. So he has definitely stepped into, you know, at least that moderate role. And he is trying to pitch Republicans at this point. Yeah, of course he is, because Democratic policies are hard to run behind. There's a reason why we don't see pictures of Joe Biden on stage with Tim Ryan, Mark Kelly, uh, anybody running for a high Democratic office. So we're talking with Jack Windsor of the Ohio Press Network. His Twitter is at Jack Windsor, W-I-N-D-S-O-R. As you assess this uh, state's. Uh, upcoming midterm election. I think the Supreme Court races are the most consequential long term. Uh, we had some polling early on that they were pretty tight. 
Uh, what do you know or what do you an- what do you anticipate regarding the battle for the new chief justice of the Ohio Supreme Court? And then the two other positions that are up, we have the incumbents, Pat DeWine, Pat Fisher, uh, on the Republican side, and Sharon Kennedy is the Republican running for chief justice against Jennifer Bruner. So um, it, numbers that I saw yesterday show that there's a widening gap for um, Sharon Kennedy uh, in her lead over Jennifer Bruner for chief justice of the Supreme Court, uh, Patrick uh, Fisher as well, and then Patrick DeWine. Um, you know, I think I think all three will likely win their races. And, of course, as you stated, that has a much longer tail on it than, say, you know, the next governor, yep. because uh, presumably those folks are going to be on the bench and deciding some important cases. If, you know, socially we continue to go down the road that we're going down, uh, there are going to be some hefty cases before those uh, justices that they'll get to decide on, and that will determine the next 20, 30 years uh, in the state of Ohio. I think the, the one that's probably the most at risk is Pat DeWine. Uh, as you're aware, in the Republican primary, Mike DeWine didn't even get a majority of the voters uh, on the Republican side, and there was crossover from Democrats. So um, that name affiliation might be a risk for him. I fielded some questions from people who said, hey, why should I vote for Pat DeWine? I don't like his dad. I'm not going to vote for him. Well, they're two separate people, and they're two separate positions. One has a longer impact than the other. So we have uh, this uh, State Board of Education matter with the resolution from Brendan Shea that, look, uh, a boy's a boy, a girl's a girl. We don't want this in our schools. Schools are about truth. And that could have been voted up or down by the State Board of Education. They really didn't take any action on it. Now, Monday, they're going to have another hearing, and both sides are hoping to get you know a lot of people there in support of their position on it. But the whole upshot of the resolution was that if passed, it would essentially encourage Dave Yost, our attorney general, to join with other attorney generals around the nation, saying to the Biden administration, hey, we don't think Title IX, which protects women and girls and gives them the same opportunities as boys and men, we don't think Title IX should be expanded to include transgender girls and transgender boys. Yost uh, has been pretty quiet on this. Do we know where he stands on it, or has he done anything regarding this? Is he waiting for this resolution to pass or fail? Bruce, that's a great question. And uh, I, I'm happy to tell you uh, that I talked with Yost's office, uh, it was October 3rd, and I talked to his communications director and I asked, is the attorney general going to weigh in on this issue? Because this is a significant issue. This is a powder keg. This is something that's going to really uh, determine what's going on in races. And, and parents are increasingly curious and frustrated. And I'll tell you why on the back end. But she said, no, I don't think he's going to weigh in. Well, that was October but I am in receipt now of a letter that he actually wrote on September 12th. Hmm. So before I even asked, what? and he wrote it to United States Department of Education uh, Secretary Miguel Cardona, and he weighs in over 33 pages on Biden's Title IX changes and what they mean to the Department uh, of Education and what they mean to Ohio schools. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, you know, that's the side I'm on, is to say that you should not expand Title IX to include gender. I think that's a position that the majority of Ohio voters hold, and Mm -hmm. I would expect a Republican attorney general to hold that position. I don't know why he wouldn't own that position. Yeah, it's interesting. And when you get into the letter, he makes no bones about it. He calls the reliance on the Bostock and Price Waterhouse cases irrelevant because, you know, a lot of people are hinging their opinions on that or or putting their opinions on that. He said that Title IX expressly allows schools to draw 
sex-based distinctions in such things as bathrooms and sports teams. He went on to say that the proposed rule by requiring the students to be allowed to participate in programs in a manner consistent with their gender identities will harm girls and women. Um, he explained how the rule would lead to activists being the Title IX officers in schools and how that could absolutely undo the due process for somebody accused of something. And then finally, this is the part, I'm going to read this, this is important, uh, the Department's eradication of sex-based distinctions for primary education is harmful and confusing to the point of abuse, particularly without parental consent. And he went on to describe how uh, the proposed rule would require um, participation, you know, consistent with a person's gender identity in all education programs or activities that receive federal financial assistance, um, not just the secondary and post-secondary activities. And he goes on to talk about how that would mean male students who identify as girls um, and female students who identify as boys must be permitted to uh, identify that way at school. And so then all of a sudden, parents, um, you know, who have a right for being responsible for the upbringing of their killed, their children aren't in the driver's seat. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this. We have a story that we're going to publish next week regarding a parent in the state of Ohio who got a call and said, uh, you need to come get your student. Your student's not okay. And my understanding is that the student was having suicide ideations and the dad was beside himself and went, well, what's going on here? Later found out that um, the child was in the process of social transition at school, uh. meaning that uh, he had been approached and was talking about transgender transition, but the father had not been alerted, and it had gone so far down the road that uh, you know his, the student's mental health had deteriorated to the point that they said he might be on suicide watch. Wow. That's just unbelievably unacceptable, deplorable, despicable, every bad word I can think about it. Our guest is Jack Windsor, theohiopressnetwork.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Jack Windsor. Last thing, uh, do parents in Ohio have to worry about the CDC putting the COVID shot on its list of vaccines? I'm careful not to call it a vaccine, because I don't think it is. No, it's gene therapy, according to most people who are, you know, calling calling it what it is. And uh, I actually had a chance to talk with Mike DeWine's spokeswoman last week, and I asked that question, um, what's the governor going to do, if anything, to either promote the jabs in order for kids to enroll in school or to, to discourage schools from requiring them? Here was DeWine's response through his spokeswoman. There are no COVID-19 vaccine mandates in Ohio. Now, juxtapose that with Ron DeSantis in Florida weighing in, who said, as long as I'm kicking and screaming, there will be no COVID shot mandates for your kids. And then Glenn Youngkin in Virginia saying, essentially, we will not adhere to any CDC mandates in Virginia. Parents matter. So mm. a lot of people have more questions uh, than they have answers after DeWine's crew weighed in on whether or not they're going to you know, require COVID vaccines for kids. Yeah. I mean, it's good news, but it's not uh, bulletproof good news. And uh, when you want the real news, you go to theohiopressnetwork.com, theohiopressnetwork.com, and you'll find it with Jack Windsor's reporting. Follow Jack on Twitter at Jack Windsor, W-I-N-D-S-O-R. Always great to have you on the show, Jack. I appreciate it. I hope you have a great weekend. Bruce, God bless you. Thanks for choosing me today. Hmm, that's interesting. The Yoast letter in particular that his spokesperson says in uh, early September, no, no opinion. And then it turns out he's written a letter, and the letter at least had in it what we'd like to have in it. Now, we hear a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion these days. 
and about uh, everybody getting a fair shot, fair opportunities. Democrats are big on this. But they also say the quiet part out loud at times, particularly activists like Ibram X. Kendi, and that the only cure for past discrimination is current discrimination. Uh, Well, that may be coming to an end if the Supreme Court rules the way many educators, college administrators, fear they will rule on a case that could outlaw nationally what has been the only discriminatory law ensconced in precedent. And that would be a little thing called affirmative action. Affirmative action is legalized discrimination. Affirmative action is we're going to admit a certain number of people whose credentials don't measure up to other applicants' credentials simply because they are maybe female instead of male, maybe uh, black instead of white, maybe Asian instead of Hispanic, maybe Hispanic instead of Caucasian. Now, this is a position, of course, that the Democrats want because they are all about equity. And equity is not equality. Equity is a nice way of saying, you give me what you have so I can have it because I'm not good enough or motivated enough to earn it on my own. I hope they do eliminate affirmative action. Affirmative action has always been a discriminatory policy. Two people who apply for admission to a college should be evaluated upon what they have accomplished prior to applying to college. Now you say, wait a second, are you telling me that a kid from Linden has the same exposure to learning and opportunities to volunteer or to participate in extracurricular activities, those kinds of things? They come from a more dangerous neighborhood. No, no, I'm actually not saying that. But here's the deal. We have vastly underperforming Columbus City Schools. Would anyone argue that? I mean, other than somebody who draws a paycheck from Columbus City Schools. We have vastly underperforming Cincinnati Public Schools and Cleveland Public Schools and Big City Public Schools are vastly underperforming. I think the only way to get them to perform is for parents to realize that their kids who go to those schools are not getting the kind of education that they need to get because they cannot compete and get into colleges based upon merit, based upon merit. Right now, when we abide the failure of our public schools by admitting graduates of those public schools because of their ethnicity, because of some factor other than their actual qualifications. What we are doing is ingraining the poor performance in these schools because we're excusing it, we're abiding it, we're allowing it to continue because there's no consequence for it. So who opposes the end of affirmative action? Well, you might expect Harvard opposes it, Yale opposes it, the Ivy League schools oppose it, which is interesting because they have started discriminating against Asian students because too many Asian students have been getting into Harvard and Yale on merit 
and not enough of the kids of the elite people who funded the endowments at Harvard and Yale have been getting in. And so they've had to start discriminating against Asians. They face a lawsuit for that. Now, why does the court break down on this? Well, as you might expect, Justice Sonia Sotomayor is a big proponent of affirmative action. I am shocked to find out that Justice John Roberts is a big opponent of it. John Roberts, yay! There's a Republican bone left in his body after all. So we'll see how this goes. I would caution you if you think, eh, it's a layup. I mean, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, they're all going to outlaw affirmative action. I don't think that's necessarily true. All three of them, not at the same time, but in isolated cases have disappointed me with their rulings. I think Coney Barrett was wrong to reject the challenge of Biden's student loan forgiveness. Gorsuch sided with some idiotic, nonsensical expansion of gender to a protected class. And I can't cite a specific on Kavanaugh, but I know he hasn't ruled on everything the way that we thought he would. Now, this is an interesting statement from Politico. Let's play Where's Waldo. Let's spot the error in this, okay? See if you can follow along. Because I read this and I went, wait a minute, did I read that wrong? Then I went back and read it again and I'm like, no, they really wrote that. How did this survive the editing process? Here's Here's the sentence. Most voters see affirmative action practices at colleges as positive. A recent Politico poll conducted in mid-October found that 39% of voters believe the advantages of race-based affirmative action in education for minority groups are more important than the disadvantages for others. And you spot Waldo in that? Most voters see affirmative action practices as a positive. A recent poll found that 39% of voters believe that it's good that we have affirmative action. I'm I'm hung up on the most and the 39%. Now, I have West Liberty Salem High School math. Let's check with a a real authority on this. Let's check with Cardington High School math. Oh, my God. Alan Rogers, (laughs) do you have any any hang-up like I do with most being supported by... 39% 39%? <laughs> in my world, over in rural western Ohio, 39% was not most. Well, I find it interesting, too, that in their own <laughs> in their own poll. Yeah. I mean, cook the books, at least. Well, that, that they come up, well, I'm going to have this poll, and by golly, by our poll, most people, 39%. I, I mean, you got to be, like, what are we not supposed to be able to do math? You know what happens? This is what happens when you have <laughs> affirmative action and people get on the staff at Politico who think that 39% is most. Is most. <laughs> it's not. I was waiting for like some, you know, some, uh, but you know, 20% thought it was good and there's like 40% in the middle. Like they don't attempt to sell it anyway. They say most voters see it as a positive. 39%? That's not most. Just. Look, the cure for past discrimination is to resolve not to discriminate at all. Will there be people caught in the squishy middle until you write it? Yeah, probably. But if it gets us more charter schools and more accountability, it'll work. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.